Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a sermon that was once preached by Charles Spurgeon. This message is from a collection of Spurgeon messages created by Perry Boardman, known as Spurgeon's Gems. Today's message is from Volume 1. It's number 45. It's the second part, the last part of that message. It's entitled simply, Conversion. Conversion. Uh, we were talking about a simple fact regarding conversion from the book of James. He which converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And he gave some examples of how that might work. And now he says, suppose that by some conversation of yours, you are made the means of delivering a soul from death. My friends, you are apt to imagine that all conversion is undertaken by the minister. You make a great mistake. There are many conversions effected by a very simple observation from the most humble individual. A single spoken word may be more the means of conversion than a whole sermon. There you sit before me. I, I thrust at you, but, but you are too far off. <laughs> But some brother, however, addresses an observation to you when it's a very stab with a, a short poniard in your heart. God often blesses a short, pithy expression from a friend more than a long discourse from a minister. There was once in a village where there had been a revival in religion a man who was a confirmed infidel. Notwithstanding all the efforts of the minister and many Christian people, he had resisted all attempts and appeared to be more and more confirmed in his sin. At length, the people held a prayer meeting, especially to intercede for his soul. Afterwards, God put it into the heart of one of the elders of the church to spend a night in prayer in behalf of the poor infidel. In the morning, the elder rose from his knees, saddled his horse, and rode down to the man's smithy. He meant to say a great deal to him, but he simply went up to him, took him by the hand, and all he could say was, Oh, sir, I am deeply concerned for your salvation. I am deeply concerned for your salvation. I've been wrestling with God all this night for your salvation. He could say no more. His heart was too full. He then mounted on his horse and rode away again. <clears throat> Down went the blacksmith's hammer, and he went immediately to see his wife. She said, What's the matter with you? Matter enough, said the man. I've been attacked with a, a new argument this time. There's the elder. He's been here this morning. He said, I'm concerned about your salvation. Why now, if he's concerned about my salvation, it's a strange thing that I'm not concerned about it. The man's heart was clean captured by that kind word from the elder. He took his own horse and rode to the elder's house. And when he arrived there, the elder was in his parlor, still in prayer, and they knelt down together. God gave him a contrite spirit and a broken heart and brought that poor sinner to the feet of the Savior. There was a soul saved from death and a multitude of sins covered. Again, you may be the means of conversion by a letter you may write. Many of you have not the power to speak or say much, but when you sit down alone in your chamber, you are able, with God's help, 
to write a letter to a dear friend of yours. Oh, I think that's a very sweet way to endeavor to be useful. I think I never felt so much earnestness after the souls of my fellow creatures as when I first loved the Savior's name. And though I could not preach and never thought I should be able to testify to the multitude, I used to write texts on little scraps of paper and and drop them anywhere that some poor creatures might pick them up and receive them as messages of mercy to their souls. Well, there is your brother. He's careless and hardened. Sister, sit down and write a letter to him. When he receives it, he'll perhaps smile, but he will say, Ah, well, it is Betsy's letter after all, and that will have some power. I knew a gentleman whose dear sister used often to write to him concerning his soul. I used, he says, to to stand with my back up against a lamp post uh, with a cigar in my mouth, perhaps at two o'clock in the morning, to read her letter. I always read them, and I have. And I have read them, and I've wept floods of tears after reading my sister's letters. Though I still kept on the air of my ways, they always checked me. They always seemed like a, a hand pulling me away from sin, a voice crying out, Come back! Come back! And at last a letter from her, in conjunction with a solemn providence, was the means of breaking his heart, and he sought salvation through his Savior. Again, how many have been converted by the example of true Christians? Many of you feel that you cannot write or preach. You think you can do nothing. Well, there is one thing you can do for your master. You can live Christianity. I think there are more people who look at the new life in Christ written out in you than they will in the old life that is written in the Scriptures. An infidel will use arguments to disprove the Bible if you said it before him. But if you do to others as you would that they should do to you, if you give of your bread to the poor and disperse it to the needy, living like Jesus, speaking words of kindness and love and living honestly and uprightly in the world, he will say, well, I thought the Bible was all hypocrisy, but I cannot think so now because there's Mr. So-and-so and look how he lives. I could believe my infidelity if it were not for him. The Bible certainly has an effect upon his life, and therefore I must believe it. And then how many souls may be converted by what some men are privileged to write and print? There's Dr. Doddridge's Rise and Progress of Religion. Though I decidedly object to some things in it, I could wish that everybody had read that book. So many have been the conversions that it has produced. I think it more honor to have written Watts's Psalms and Hymns than, than Milton's Paradise Lost, more glory to have written that, that book of old Wilcox called A Drop of Honey, or the tract that God has used so much, The Sinner Friend, than all the books of Homer. I value books for the good they do to men's souls. Oh, much as I respect the genius of Pope or Dryden or Burns, give me the simple lines of Cooper that God has owned in bringing souls to him. Oh, to think that we may write and print books which shall reach poor sinners' hearts. The other day my soul was gladdened exceedingly by an invitation from a pious woman to go and see her. She told me she had been ten years on her bed and had not been able to stir from it. Nine years, she said, I was dark and blind and 
unthinking, but my husband brought me one of your sermons. I read it, and God blessed it to the opening of my eyes. He converted my soul with it, and now all glory to him. I love his name. Each Sabbath morning, she said, I wait for your sermon. I live on it all the week as marrow and fatness to my spirit. Ah, I thought, there's something to cheer the printers and all of us who labor in that good work. One good brother wrote to me this week, Brother Spurgeon, keep your courage up. You are known in multitudes of households of England, and you are loved, too. Though we cannot hear you or see your living form, yet throughout all of our villages your sermons are scattered. And I know of cases of conversion from them more than I can tell you. Another friend mentioned to me an instance of a clergyman of the Church of England, a canon of a cathedral, who frequently preaches my sermons on the Sabbath. Whether in the cathedral or not, I cannot say, but I hope he does. Oh, who can tell, when these things are printed, what hearts they may reach, what good they may effect. Words that I spoke three weeks ago, eyes are now perusing, while tears are gushing from them as they read, Glory be to God, Most High. But, after all, preaching is the ordained means for the salvation of sinners. And by this, ten times as many are brought to the Savior as by any other means. Ah, my friends, to have been the means of saving souls from death by preaching, what an honor. There is a young man who has not long commenced his ministerial career. When he enters the pulpit, everybody notices what a deep solemnity there is upon him, beyond his years. His face is white and blanched by an unearthly solemnity. His body is shriveled up by his labor. Constant study and midnight lamps have worn him away. But when he speaks, he utters wondrous words that lift the soul up to heaven. And the aged saint says, Well, ne'er did I go near, so near to heaven as when I listened to his voice. There can, comes in some gay young man who listens and criticizes his aspect. He thinks it by no means such as to be desired. But he listens. One thought strikes him, and then another. You see that man? He's been moral all his life long, but he has never been renewed. Now tears begin to flow down his cheeks. Just put your ear against his breast, and you will hear him groan out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Ah, good reward for a withered frame or a ruined constitution. Or oh, take another case. A man is preaching the word of God. He's standing up to deliver his master's message and in steals some poor harlot. Such a case I knew not long ago. A poor harlot determined she would go and take her life on Blackfriars Bridge. Passing by these doors one Sunday night, she thought she would step in and, and for the last time hear something that might prepare her to stand before her maker. She forced herself into the aisle, and she could not escape until I rose from the pulpit. The text was, Seest thou this woman? I dwelt upon Mary Magdalene and her sins, her washing the Savior's feet with her tears and wiping them with the hair of her head. And there stood the woman, melted away with the thought that she should thus hear herself described and her own life painted 
Oh, to think of saving a poor harlot from death, to deliver such a one from going down to the grave, and then, as God pleased, to save her soul from going down to hell. Is it not worth ten thousand lives if we could sacrifice them all on the altar of God? When I thought of this text yesterday, I could only weep to think that God should have so favored me. O men and women, how can you better spend your time and wealth than in the cause of the Redeemer? What holier enterprise can you engage in than this sacred one of saving souls from death and hiding a multitude of sins? This is a wealth that you can take with you, the wealth that has been acquired under God by having saved souls from death and covered a multitude of sins. I know there are some now before the throne who first wept the penitential tear in this house of prayer, and who thanked God that they had listened to this voice, and methinks they have a tender and affectionate love still for him whom God honored thus. Minister of the gospel, if you on earth are privileged to win souls, I think when you die, those spirits will rejoice to be your guardian angels. They will say, Father, that man is dying whom we love. May we go and watch him? Yes, says God, you may go and carry heaven with you. So down come the spirits, ministering angels, and oh, how lovingly they look on us. They would, if they could, strike out the furrow from the forehead and take the cold, clammy sweat with their own blessed hands away. They must not do it, but oh, how tenderly they watch that suffering man who was made the means of doing good to their souls. And when he opens his eyes so clearly in immortality, he shall see them like guards around his bed and hear them say, Come with us, thrice welcome, honored servant of God, come with us. And when he speeds his way upwards toward heaven on strong wings of faith, these spirits who stand by him will clap their wings behind him, and he will enter heaven with many crowns upon his head, each of which he will delight to cast at the feet of Jesus. O brethren, if you turn a sinner from the error of his ways, remember, you have saved a soul from death and hidden a multitude of sins. And then the application. I I can only just mention part three here. It is this, he says, that he who is the means of the conversion of a sinner does, under God, save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. Particular attention ought to be paid to backsliders, for in bringing backsliders into the church, there is as much honor to God as in bringing in sinners. It says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, Alas, the poor backslider is often the most forgotten. A member of the church has disgraced his profession. The church excommunicated him, and he was accounted a heathen and a publican. I know of men of good standing in the gospel ministry who, ten years ago, fell into sin, and that is thrown in our teeth to this very day. Do you speak of them? You are at once informed why, Ten years ago they they did such and such. Brethren, 
Christian men ought to be ashamed of themselves for taking notice of such things so long afterwards. True, we, we may use more caution in our dealings, but to reproach a fallen brother for what he did so long ago is contrary to the spirit of John, who went after Peter three days after he had denied his master with oaths and curses. Nowadays it is the fashion if a man falls to have nothing to do with him. Men say, oh, he's a bad fellow, we, we will not go after him. Beloved, suppose he is the worst, is not that the reason why you should go most after him? Suppose he never was a child of God, suppose he never knew the truth, is not that the greater reason why you should go after him? I do not understand your mawkish modesty, your excessive pride that won't let you go after the chief of sinners. The worse the case, the more is the reason why we should go. But suppose the man is a child of God and you have cast him off. Remember, he is your brother. He is one with Christ as much as you are. He is justified. He has the same righteousness that you have. And if when he has sinned you despise him, you despise his master. Take heed. You yourself may be tempted and may one day fall. Like David, you may walk on the top of your house rather too high and you may see something which shall bring you to sin. Then what will you say if the brethren pass you by with a sneer and take no notice of you? Oh, if we have one backslider connected with our church, let us take special care of him. Don't deal harshly with him. Recollect you would have been a backslider too if it were not for the grace of God. I advise you, whenever you see professors living in sin, to be very shy of them, but if after a time you see any sign of repentance, or if you do not go and seek out the lost sheep of the house of Israel. For remember that if one of you do err from the truth, one converts him, let him remember that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Backsliders, who your misery feel, uh, I will come after you one moment. Um, poor backslider, you, you were once a Christian. Do you hope you were? No, you say, I, I believe I deceived myself and others. I was no child of God. Well, if you did, let me tell you that if you will acknowledge that, God will forgive you. Suppose you did deceive the church. You're not the first that did it. There are some members of this church, I fear, who have done so, and we have not found them out yet. I tell you, your case is not hopeless. That is not the unpardonable sin. Some who have tried to deceive the very elect have yet been delivered. And my master says he is able to save to the uttermost. And you have not gone beyond the uttermost. All who come to him, come you then to his feet. Cast yourself on his mercy. And though you did once enter his camp as a spy, he will not hang you up for it but will be glad to get you anyhow as a trophy of mercy. But if you were a child of God and can say honestly, I know I did love him and he loved me, well, I tell you, he loves you still. If you've gone ever so far astray, you are as much his child as ever. Though you have run away from your father, come back, come back. He is your father still. Think not he has unsheathed the sword to slay you. Say not he has cast me out of the family. He has not. 
His heart yearns over you now. My Father loves you. Come then to his feet, and he will not even remind you of what you have done. The prodigal was going to tell his father all his sins and ask him to make him one of his hired servants, but the father stopped his mouth. He let him say that he was not worthy to be called his son, but he would not let him say, Make me a hired servant. Come back, and your father will receive you gladly. He will put his arms around you and kiss you with the kisses of his love, and he will say, I have found this my son that was lost. I have recovered this sheep that had gone astray. My father loved you without works. He justified you irrespective of them. You have no less merit now than you had then. Come and trust and believe in him. Lastly, you who believe you are not backsliders, if you are saved, remember that a soul is saved from death and a multitude of sins hidden. Oh, my friends, if I might but be a, a hundred-handed man to catch you all, I, I would love to be so. If aught I could say it could win your souls. If by preaching here from now till midnight I might by any possibility capture some of you to the love of the Savior, I would do it. Some of you are speeding your way to hell, blindfolded. My hearers, I do not deceive you. You are going to perdition as fast as time can carry you. Some of you are deceiving yourselves with the thought that you are righteous, and you are not so. Many of you have had solemn warnings and have never been moved by them. You have admired the way in which the warning has been given, but the thing itself has never entered your heart. Hundreds of you are without God and without Christ, strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, and may I not plead with you? Is a gloomy religious system to hold me captive and never let me speak? Why, poor hearts, do you know your sad condition? Do you know that God is angry with the wicked every day, that the way of transgressors is hard, that he that believeth not is condemned already? Has it never been told you that he that believeth not shall be damned? And can you stand damnation? My hearers, could you make your bed in hell? Could you lie down in the pit? Do you think it would be an easy portion for your souls to be rocked on waves of flame forever and to be tossed about with demons in the place where hope cannot come? Well, you may smile now, but you will not smile soon. God sends me as an ambassador now, but if you do not listen to me, he will not send an ambassador next time, but an executioner. There will be no wooing words of mercy soon. The only exhortation you will hear will be the dull, cold voice of death that shall say, Come with me. Then you will not be in the place where we sing God's praises and where righteous prayers are daily offered. The only music you will hear will be the sighs of the damned, the shrieks of fiends, the yellings of the tormented. Oh, may God in his mercy snatch you as brands from the fire to be trophies of his grace throughout eternity. The way to be saved is to renounce your works and ways with grief and fly to Jesus. And if now you are a conscience-stricken sinner, that is all I want. So if you will confess that you are a sinner, that is all God requires of you. And even that he gives you. Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do you hear his wooing words? 
Will you turn from his sweet looks of mercy? Has his cross no influence? Have his wounds no power to bring you to his feet? Uh, then what can I say? The arm of the Spirit, which is mightier than man, alone can make hard hearts melt and, and bow stubborn wills to the ground. Sinner, if you confess your sins this morning, there is a Christ for you. You need not say, oh, that I knew where to find him. No, the word is near you, on your lips, in your heart. If you will with your heart believe and with your mouth confess the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. For he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And so abruptly comes to the end this message of Charles Spurgeon. It just ends like that. So I will end it that way, too. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.